Thank you, Elder Gordon. I find this to be a very comforting passage for a number of reasons. Um, I don't know about you, but I find it very comforting whenever I read about how the people of God really mess up. <laughs> and that's because I mess up so much in my own life. And it's good to see how God is faithful. And another part of this passage that's very encouraging is how God is faithful in this passage. Um, very glad to see Kevin and Peggy with her mother here this morning. Uh, I guess that's three generations of Chans sitting there. And we see here, actually, how God works with generation after generation of Abraham's family and how that faithfulness extends from generation to generation. Uh, that's why this morning you might see that I'm wearing this very nice vest. This is my grandfather's. Uh, so now this is three generations. When I pass it down to one of my sons, that would be four generations that will have had this, this vest. You might notice it's a little bit tight on me, and that's because I'm approximately three stone more than my grandfather. And I'm using an obscure measurement weight so that you won't know how much that is. But <laughs> uh, yeah, we see in this passage how God is working through this family, generation after generation. And I think this will also show us how we live in the faithfulness of God as we go from generation to generation. And so as we come to this passage in Genesis, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness, which is from generation to generation. As you have been faithful to our fathers and mothers, you will also be faithful to our children as you are faithful to us. And we also have a part to play there. And I pray, Lord, that as we go through this passage, we will gain in confidence ourselves in your goodness, your grace, how your sovereign might and forethought always works on behalf of your people. And so, Lord, speak to us this morning through your word that we might better trust in you and walk faithfully with you. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. And so one question I want to start off with this morning is how do we work from these Old Testament passages and consider its relevance for our lives today? Because obviously, you know, this is a very different culture, a very different time so long ago. What relevance is Genesis 26 have to us today. Well, one way to look at these Old Testament passages is it is the tracing out of a particular story. And that story is how God will work his plan from Genesis 3 and the fall and that promise that one day the serpent would be crushed and his people redeemed and delivered. And so Genesis traces the beginning of that story of how God will work to redeem his people. Another way in which these passages are relevant to us is that we see that they also establish for us an example and a pattern for faith. And so if you look at the book of Hebrews, you see that many of these Old Testament characters are set before us to remind us of a certain kind of faith that God delights in as his people trust him and walk with him. And I want to point out a particular part of our passage this morning 
uh, as we were reading together, we read this in verse 3, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, is that comforting to hear? The faithfulness of past Generations is how God works to establish blessing for us. And if you can take that as a pattern, as you walk faithfully with the Lord, God works to establish his blessing through you to further generations. And another aspect of the comfort here is, well, we look closely at the life of Abraham. And Without having read this affirmation, if you went back and looked at the life of Abraham, would you say that Abraham obeyed his voice and kept his charge, his commandments, his statutes, and his laws? And <laughs> actually, as we get into our passage today, you can't help but think, well, Abraham didn't do that all the time. Uh, in fact, what Isaac does here in this passage where he sins is a repetition of a sin that Abraham had committed twice in his lifetime. And yet, despite the fact that Abraham failed, God says here to Isaac, because Abraham obeyed my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So, we have before us here an example of God's faithfulness. And when we look at these Old Testament characters and we think about their faithfulness, one of the things that we do have to be careful of is directly bringing over their lives and how they follow the Lord to how we live today. One of the things that was very popular a number of years ago, I don't know how many of you remember this, but there were a lot of bracelets that people were wearing that said WWJD. You guys remember what that stands for? What would Jesus do, right? And that was actually a little bit actually a lot, unnuanced, right? Like Because if I think, what would Jesus do? Well, maybe I should call some of you to be my disciples, and we can walk around Pittsburgh, and I'll teach you, and we'll walk up. The, oh, Pittsburgh's got a lot of mountains, so that fits. We can walk up the mountains, and I can give you guys a sermon. Actually, we're kind of like at least on the slope of a hill here, right? <laughs> But the, the point of that is, we don't do the same things that Jesus did many times. And that's because we are in a different point in redemptive history. And many of the things that Jesus did were the kind of things that we ought not to do, precisely because Jesus has already done them. And likewise, Abraham and his family are on one side of redemptive history, and we're on another side. And so what is the way that these lives do stand as an example of faith if they're not something that we can directly bring over. How do, does Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, how do they serve as an example for us? Well, what we can transfer over are the fundamental principles. What is it 
that God is teaching his people throughout history to do. And one of those things, obviously, is to trust, to have faith, to trust in him. And one of the things also, perhaps, that we can see in terms of the way that God does this is he calls us to be sojourners, right? And so uh, Abraham, God, if you remember, called him to leave the place of his birth and his family. And now he has called Isaac to do the same thing. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 26. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And you notice there in verse 1, it's saying, here's a different famine. This is not the famine in the time of Abraham, but Isaac now is following. And, and, and in that first verse, you have a clue that there is going to be the repetition of some pattern here. Because at the beginning of this passage, the author is careful to distinguish this occurrence from the previous occurrence. This is a different family. But now Isaac also is going to go to Gerar to sojourn in the land of the Philistines. And he's called to be a sojourner. And that reminds us that Abraham was called a sojourn. And so just as Abraham was called a sojourn, Isaac is now also called a sojourn. And so Isaac now will walk with God or learn to walk with God. And so you see this basic principle that we are to believe the promises of God and to trust them. And what changes over time is what we are to trust him about. Because as we're walking with him, as we're sojourning with him, you see what God, remi excuse me, what God reminds Jacob, Isaac, reminds Isaac of is the promise that he made to Abraham. The thing that Isaac is to learn to trust as he's going on this journey is the promise that was given to his family. I've promised you this. And it is upon this promise that you can rely upon as you go out. Because when you soldier, when you go out, when you go to a place that's new, what do you have to rely on? And actually, being a church that is uh, where we're descendants of immigrants, this is something that shouldn't be too unfamiliar to us, right? Because many of you or your parents or your parents' parents came to Pittsburgh or came to the United States. And when you came here, there's a great deal of uncertainty, right? Because you have to now establish yourself in this land. And you lack many of the different kind of support network that you would have if you were in the place that you grew up. You no longer have that family structure and that family support. And so there's that uncertainty and that fear. What will happen? What if I'm not able to get a job here? And there's no comfort of, oh, I can just go and live in my parents' basement and play video games. <laughs> but you have to depend upon something. And so for many of our parents, our parents' parents, they had to rely upon themselves. Now, being here in this church, hopefully one of the things that they also learned to do many years ago in the time of Mrs. Ott's childhood was hopefully they learned to depend upon God and trust in God. Because apart from that trust in God, you feel very insecure. And this is what Jacob is called to do, to go 
and sojourn in the land. But the foundation of his sojourning is to trust in the promise of God. Will God be faithful to his promise? Because if God is faithful to his promise, then Isaac has nothing to worry about. But if God is not faithful to his promise, then Jacob has a lot to worry about. Now, how does this relate to us? We also have received the promises of God. The difference is, is we received many, 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 many more promises. Now, this is interesting in a certain way because we actually have a greater revelation to depend upon. And so how does that then relate to Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob? Well, they also had those promises, but in kind of a very early, incipient form. And those promises pointed to greater promises that were to come. And so in a way, the things that are fulfilled to us are not lost to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob simply because they came earlier than us. But in terms of the detail, in terms of what we know, in terms of how we see God's plan of redemption worked out for us, we have a far greater foundation. And Christmas is a great reminder of this, right? Because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are also the people of God, and they are also saved. And one day when we come into the presence of the Lord, we'll see them also. And yet, we now know much of what was hidden from them. We know that God would send to his people the deliverer. And what the people of that time could not imagine was the greatness of that deliverer. That would be God's own son. And the rescue that he would accomplish would be far greater than they could imagine also because it was not simply prosperity upon this earth or some kind of deliverance from death, but a complete restoration of fellowship with God, a new heavens and a new earth, and our presence with him. And so, again, thinking about how we relate these passages, think about in a way, some of the things that you've had to learn to trust in and what that trust brought. And so one of the things that our family has done fairly, you know, recently over and over and over again is uh, one by one, we've been teaching our boys to ride bikes. And we've had a little bit of a gap because Kessid is a little bit older than Tobiah. Uh, but we're in the process now of teaching Tobiah to ride a bike, and he's still got training wheels, whereas Kesson's been off of training wheels for quite a while. And it's a little bit scary. I remember with each one of those boys, when we set them down on that bike, there was a little bit of shakiness and fear. The tricycle was fine, because it had three wheels, it was very stable. But then getting on that bike, and even though it had training wheels, you know how it is. It's kind of tippy, right? And goes side to side. And if you turn too fast, you'll, you'll go over. And so, you know, we're holding on to them and trying to. But then, you know, like we let go of them, you know, they can freak out a bit. They have to learn to trust us. No, this will be really good. And then there comes a day when we take those training wheels off. And actually, usually for our boys, they're eager to get them off because they can see how fast, at least for the younger ones, they can see how fast their brothers can go. And they think, if I could just get rid of that encumbrance, I can go much faster. And some of our burden at that point is to say, oh, slow down, don't go too fast. You, you need to get used to this. But you, you see what that brings. 
you learn how to do this. And at first, it's a scary thing. But once you've learned to do this, all of a sudden, there's a certain kind of freedom that's gained. Because you can get places much easier than you could before. There's, and, and there's an ability that you have. And there's a, a, there's a kind of uh, activity that you can enjoy. Well, I remember the first time that I got behind the wheel of a car. And um, my parents, uh, I remember when I was first learning to drive a car, my dad took me out. But the first time that I got behind the wheel of a car was actually in driver's ed. And you know, we were just taking turns, and all of a sudden it was my turn. And you, know, you just get on the highway, and you have to go. And I remember just like, whoa. <laughs> and it was a little bit scary. But once again, when you overcome that fear and you're able to do that, here's a greater thing. You're going much faster. If you have an accident in a car, it's much worse. And the first time that uh, I went on one of these driving lessons, actually it was a little scary because we were at an intersection and somebody blew right through a red light. And he was honking as he was coming down. So we knew something was wrong. So the instructor just said, stop. And this guy went right through the intersection and crashed into a light pole. Because his brakes had gone out, apparently. He just, his brakes went out, and just the way he stopped was he ran into a light pole. And so uh, I remember the driver instructor said, OK, we're going to go to the police station and report it. That was before cell phones, OK? <laughs> we went to the police station and reported that accident. But when you learn to drive a car, all of a sudden, much, much greater level of freedom. And then, like, you can think another level up. Uh, I don't think Jackie's here. She came back briefly. Oh, she is here. Oh, yeah, there she is. If you, like Jackie, learn to fly a plane, now there's yet another degree of freedom. But I don't know if you were scared the first time that you went. Maybe you weren't actually the kind of person that you are, but <laughs> get in that plane and take off and you're in the air. Uh, I imagine that's pretty thrilling. But the point is, is that the greater the blessing is, the more there is that we need to trust God about. And the blessing that he has promised us today that we see revealed before us today is in a sense infinite, eternal life, companionship with the infinite God, which will last forever, unbounded fellowship, infinite possibility. And what we need to do in order to come to that is learn to trust God, believe his ways are best, Repent of our own self-centered ways of doing things, which we will see Isaac learning to do in our passage today. And we see also uh, a way in which we are to learn from these lessons. And so uh, for those of you who are in Irene's judges class, I don't know if you've got the sense by now, because you've gone through cycle after cycle of these judges, right? And at some point you think, isn't Israel going to learn? Because you have this rep repetition of falling into sin. And then God sends some kind of judgment upon them to remind them, don't sin in this way. And so Israel will repent, and God sends them a deliverer, and they're freed, and they enjoy that freedom, and as they're enjoying that freedom, they once again fall into sin. And the cycle repeats itself over and over and over again. And this reminds me of um, <laughs> when you think about why do they keep doing this? Um, our RISE group recently celebrated somebody's birthday, uh, Celine's birthday, and they called into this cake shop 
to order a cake. And they said, can we get a cake? Happy birthday, Celine. And the person said, okay, let me make sure we got that right. Happy birthday, Beline. <laughs> and I can't remember who it was, it might have been Abby. He said, no, 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 not Beline, Celine, C-E-L-I-N-E. -E. Okay, Celine. We go to pick up the cake. Happy birthday, Beline. <laughs> and on the ticket, the person had written Beline, and they crossed it out. And underneath, they had written Beline. <laughs> and you think, you know, you could make the mistake, but once it's been corrected, you, you shouldn't make it again, right? But this is the pattern of life. We keep making those mistakes. But at some point, can we break that repetition of mistakes? Well, we have a pattern in our passage today. And you'll notice that this has got to be very deliberate. Think about Abraham's life. What's the pattern you saw with respect to this event in Abraham's life? God makes a covenant promise to Abraham which is echoed here to Isaac. After the covenant promise, God calls Abraham to be a sojourner, which you see repeated again here, sojourn in this land, that I will tell you. When they sojourn, both of them doubt in God's provision for them, and they take their own means in order to protect themselves by pretending that their wives are really their sisters. Their lies then get them into trouble. But despite their lack of faith, God, the pattern we consistently see is that God will remain faithful to his promise, and he delivers them despite their lack of faith. And that's something that I find enormously comforting, and you should too. Because hasn't each one of us done that? God's made us so many promises of what he will do for us in his word. And because we don't take God at his word, we find all these different ways to try to secure our future. And many of these backfire on us. Now, this isn't to say that we shouldn't do the responsible kind of things that God actually calls us to do by giving us our talents and our abilities that we should use in a responsible way. But it's when we fall into these as Isaac does, deceitful ways to protect themselves, that we see their lack of faith. But despite their lack of faith, God does remain faithful. And then Abraham and then Isaac prosper through the blessing of the Lord, despite the fact that the opposition around them is real. And you see that this pattern that we see Isaac go through is exactly in terms of this order the same pattern that his father, Abraham, went through. And so when we're talking about these principles, how do we translate these lives to our own? Well, God called them to be sojourners, but doesn't he call us also to be sojourners? While you are here on this earth, you are a sojourner. What does he call us to, uh, remind us of in the book of Philippians? Your citizenship is where? Well, we're all citizens. Well, actually, I shouldn't say all. Many of us are citizens of the US. Uh, my wife recently became one. But God tells us your citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await 
a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are to live here upon this earth as a sojourner. And this idea of being a sojourner is one that is repeated oftentimes through scripture. Has any of you ever gone on a long road trip with someone? Like, you know, I remember um, after I had graduated from law school, as a friend of mine who was a doctor, and we went for a long drive, uh, went on a trip, and we talked about what kind of women we would marry. That didn't happen. Uh, we talked about what kind of uh, goals that we had in life. You, you learn a lot about somebody as you travel with them, right? And we see here that God does very much the same kind of thing. God calls Abraham and Isaac to be sojourners precisely because he's asking them to learn to walk with him. What does it mean to sojourn with God? To walk in dependence upon God. And God is that perfect companion. I mean, you know, like when you take a long road trip with someone in a car, you might think, I'm never doing that again. But if you take a good road trip with God, he's the perfect companion. He's always dependable. He's always faithful. He's always caring. He's always loving. And so this is what we're looking at this morning, the way that God built that relationship with Isaac and taught Isaac to trust in him. And in a similar way, God is calling each one of us also to trust in him. But there's one thing that I want to land on a little bit this morning, and it's the idea of providence. Because while we can draw this principle of sojourning and walking with God, there is a difference in this passage, isn't there? In terms of how all the events worked out here and how they worked out with Abraham. How does God work with Abraham when Abraham fell into the same exact sin twice? If you remember, when um, Abraham lied to Pharaoh and said, Sarah's my sister, what happened? Pharaoh's household, perhaps foreshadowing something, had all these plagues visited upon them because of Sarah. And Abraham had to come and pray for Pharaoh's household, and they were healed. And then when uh, Abraham sojourned with the Philistines, and I want to make a quick note here because you see Abimelech here, right? The name Abimelech. This is probably not the same Abimelech, right? Because we know Abraham lived a very, very long time. And so this is over 90 years later. And so this is probably a different Abimelech. Now, why does he have that name? Uh, Av means father. Avi, my father, Melech, king. And so my father is king. That's just the meaning of this. So Abimelech is probably a title like we see later, Phicol is uh, probably a title. And so this is probably not the same characters. It might not even have been the same tribe of Philistines. But there is a certain parallel in terms of what's happening here. So this is probably a different Abimelech. But how does God work in this instance? With the previous Abimelech, what happened? God visited him in a dream, and he warned him. Don't lay a hand on this woman, or you will all die. And so God brought Sarah out in that way. What happens in this case? What happens in this case is that Abimelech sees, and it says here that Isaac is laughing with Rebecca. That's probably a euphemism for something. It was probably an intimate moment that they're sharing, maybe something akin to a kiss or something like that. 
And Abimelech sees this and goes, <laughs> he's not kissing his sister. That's his wife. And so he calls Isaac to him and says, what is this that you have done? She's your wife. She's not your sister. Now, the difference here is the way that the covenant wife is preserved. With Sarah, we could say that there was a kind of a miraculous event, right? God directly intervened in order to deliver Sarah on two occasions. How is it that Rebecca is preserved? How is it that Isaac and Rebecca are preserved in the case of, of this particular uh, threat to their family? It's what we would say is providence. This is God's providence. Abimelech happens to look out of a window at the right moment to see Isaac and Rebecca sharing a happy moment. Would we say that Isaac, or God loves Isaac less than he loves Abraham? No, God loves both Abraham and Isaac infinitely. But the way that he chooses to work here is different. And I think it's important to see this, because I think when we read the Old Testament, one of the barriers to seeing how uh, these Old Testament narratives apply to us, we think, well, God hasn't spoken to me. God hasn't told me to leave my home and sojourn to Pittsburgh. <laughs> but does that mean that God loves me any less than those to whom he did speak? I've encountered through my life quite a few people who've told me that God has directly spoken to them. They received some kind of revelation or some kind of vision. And I've noticed that the people who say this, oftentimes what they believe has happened takes an inordinate, uh, too much of an emphasis on that singular event. And I've wondered why that revelation that they believe has happened to them takes such a precedence in their life over what God has revealed in his word. Because one of the things that as Christians we believe is that the scripture is the word of God. And that if, if for example, all of a sudden, like, you know, maybe like right over that cross, we somehow saw the manifestation of the glory of God. And I would quickly get up the stage and sit down and watch, just like the rest of you. But if God directly spoke to us in that way, would it be any more certain or sure than all the things that you have before you in your Bibles? And what we say to that is no. The scriptures are trustworthy. They are the inerrant inspired word of God. We believe these promises of God. And that is God's providential provision to us. Here's why I think that people tend to really desire that personal revelation. When someone says that God has spoken directly to them, what they take from that is that God knows them. 
that they're special, that God has a plan for them, and they have this relationship and they can trust that God has seen them and cares for them. They're known and recognized by God. And I don't want to take that away from them because it is true. God does care for them. God does know them, love them, and have a special plan for them. But what I worry about in a situation like that is that so much of their faith is grounded in that one particular moment. When the foundation that God has laid for our faith is thousands of years of meticulously planned work, the work of redemption that has been carried out over this entire time from the moment of the fall to this moment now and then into the future. Promises that he has made us that were true back then and that are developed and expanded upon and continue all these years. And to set aside thousands of years of redemptive history, events planned for each one of you, according to Romans 8, for your good in favor of one moment of perhaps revelation is to set aside the foundation that God has laid for our faith. There's a uh, story by a uh, Christian blogger that I read quite often, Tim Challies. I don't know if uh, some of the rest of you have heard of him, but he shares this particular story of God's provision for him, and I think it illustrates this very beautifully. And so uh, Tim Challies, he has two daughters and a son, and about, I think it was a little over three years ago, he lost that son. Uh, the son just suddenly died, uh, and the cause of it was just some sort of heart arrhythmia where his heart just stopped beating, and his son died. And so he tells the story of a day that he and his wife, when they had been particularly overcome by grief, um, and so he had gone to the seminary on the day, on the anniversary of the day, when his son was supposed to, so his son had been engaged to be married, and uh, on the anniversary of that wedding day, he went to uh, the cemetery to visit his son's grave. And so as he and his wife, Eileen, had gone to the cemetery, he said, as we stood there weeping together, a lovely Christian couple approached us and explained that they had been reading my updates. They showed us where their son was buried nearby, and then they prayed for us, prayed down God's comfort upon us. This was no miracle. This was not a supernatural, extraordinary event that diverged from observed natural processes. God did not summon these people from heaven or fabricate them from thin air or instantly transport them from afar. Rather, he arranged that they would visit their son's grave on this day and at this time, even though this was not their custom, and that Eileen and I would visit our son's grave on this day and at this time, even though this was not our custom. Long prior to this, he had arranged that our sons would be buried close to one another, close enough that this couple would spot us across just a few rows of graves. 
He had arranged that they would be familiar with my website and with our story and that they would recognize our faces. He arranged all this so that when we most needed comfort, two of his people would be there to provide it. God has provided for each one of your lives in this way. If you think back, and actually we've been hearing the testimonies. Gordon and I have actually heard a lot of testimonies recently because as you'll see in the coming weeks, there have been quite a few people who have been sharing their testimonies, uh, being baptized and joining our church. But I want you to take a moment and just think back in your own life. Haven't there been many times when just the right thing has happened at the right time? The right person came and spoke to you. A particular event happened that preserved you from something. Or a particular event that happened that caused something else to happen to you. And God's providence works for you in each one of these instances. And I firmly believe that when we get to heaven, we will be astounded at the number of times that God planned something especially for us. Each moment of our lives, God is there. And he has known and planned all that would happen throughout the course of the history of this entire world and designed it in order to draw his people to himself. Give you one example of that, uh, just in terms of how Irene and I came here to Pittsburgh. Uh, there was a youth pastor that we worked with in Chicago by the name of Mike Leong. And in the course of time, Mike Leong came here to Pittsburgh and he took a job at PCCO. And just at the right time, God destroyed one of his teeth so that he had to go to Gordon and Gordon did a root canal. <laughs> and in the course of that, Gordon asked him, do you know a pastor who could come here to our church in Pittsburgh? <laughs> and that's just when we were looking for a job. But there are so many, if you keep your eyes and ears open, of God's providential working in your life. And do you see in there God's providential care for you just as he delivered Isaac in this providential way. And do you think Isaac learned any less than Abraham? God is here working for my good. And I lied to protect myself, and that didn't work. But God is the one who is my shield and my redeemer. And that's part of the reason that we're drawn together as a fellowship. Do you see what's going on here? Because both good and bad can be passed down from generation to generation. Where do you think Isaac learned this behavior? Now, he wasn't around for the times that Abraham lied and said, Sarah is my sister, because he hadn't been born yet. But no doubt that was part of their, the tradition, the stories of their family. And unfortunately, Isaac learned the wrong lesson, because what did, what did he do? He followed that pattern of Abraham. Oh, this is a good strategy. I'll just lie, and then they won't kill me. I might lose my wife. So it's not such a good plan. God's plan was much better. And so what we see here is God faithfully instructing each generation and teaching them to follow him. 
But also what we see here too is a warning, right? Um, all of you who are parents, haven't you had that moment where you're watching your kids, just as I'm doing right now, and you see, oh, they're doing something bad. And that bad thing I see them doing, that's me. I see myself. That's the way I am. And you know, somehow, I found this. Like, when my children sin, it looks worse, at least in my eyes, than when I do the same sin. Like, they see, like, you know, oh, there's a pridefulness that he has, but it looks worse on him. <laughs> Actually, I realize, oh, that's how I look. Uh, but as a family and as a community, we're creating a culture. We're establishing a community of faith where we set both good and bad examples for one another. And what we see here is that in the repetition of this pattern, we see both good and bad, right? We see the faithfulness of God, and we see the importance of faithfulness because God says, I will keep this covenant to you because of Abraham's obedience. What brought about Abraham's obedience? It was God. But because Abraham learned obedience, that obedience became blessing to Isaac. And at the same time, there are Abraham's failures. And Isaac also learned from those failures to fail in the same way. And so in our communities, in our families, what kind of examples are we setting? The comfort at this Christmas time is that the reality is that we all screw up. We screw up over and over. And those screw-ups have consequences. But God will always be faithful. I just want to close and challenge all of you to think about how you contribute in your families and in this church communities. I'm so thankful for, we have uh, some brothers and sisters who have been faithfully serving in YF, our, our youth fellowship, for actually most of them for several years. And they've been serving Faithfully, Auntie Peggy has come back on board and serving there, and they're creating and establishing a culture where we're learning to trust in God. Our Bible study, our fellowship leaders, our cell group leaders, trying to bring together a community of faith, helping people know that they're cared for in this community, and teaching what it than what it means to obey God in this environment which is becoming more and more and more challenging. But where, as salt and light, we will stand out in this community more and more if we can be faithful. And so as we remember Christmas, we remember God's faithfulness in his sending his son, Jesus Christ. Let us, as a church, be good testimonies to that faithfulness. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the example of Isaac, your covenant faithfulness to him passed down generation to generation. We thank you for your providence and your miracles. Over thousands of years, your plan to redeem your people come to fruition in Jesus Christ and realized in your church. I pray, Father, that you would help us learn to trust you, that we would learn to be faithful, to turn away from sin, because we've learned that you will keep your promises. 
And when we fail, Lord, we thank you that you will remain faithful despite our failure. You will rescue those whom you love. And we thank you for this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Please stand as we